Welcome back, everyone. This is Austin Roberts. Here in the Ecosiv podcast, we engage leading thinkers in conversations about the kinds of transformations required to create a more sustainable, peaceful, and just world. The work of the Ecosiv Institute as a whole significantly depends on the generosity of supporters and listeners like you. So if you enjoy this podcast and value the many other projects that we are engaged in, please consider making a donation at ecosiv.org donate. For today's episode, Ellie Leaning speaks with Salvadut, who's the founder and chief strategy director for Water for South Sudan. Salva was born in a rural village in southwestern Sudan to the Dinka tribe. At 11 years old, the Sudanese civil war reached his village and separated Salva from his family. He joined thousands of boys, famously known as the Lost Boys, on their journey by foot to seek safety in refugee camps in Ethiopia and Kenya. After living in refugee camps for 10 years, Salva was given the opportunity to move to the United States, where he was embraced by a family in Rochester, New York. Several years later, Salva learned that his father was still alive in southern Sudan, but was suffering with disease caused by waterborne parasites. His father's illness inspired Salva to help both his father and his country by bringing clean water to those in need. This was the beginning of Water for South Sudan, which provides sustainable and innovative solutions to water security in one of the most underdeveloped and challenging parts of the world. In this episode, Ellie talks with Salva about his work with Water for South Sudan, how water can be a conflict mitigator in the world today, and many other topics. Please note that Salva is speaking with Ellie from South Sudan. As such, there were some issues with the audio recording during this interview. And now, here's Salva and Ellie. I'm here with Salva Dut, the founder and chief strategy director of Water for South Sudan. Thanks so much for joining us today, Salva. I know you're incredibly busy. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So our work at Ecosiv focuses on promoting long-term solutions for the well-being of people and the planet. Water is a core focal area where we work through the W12 programs to connect, catalyze, and incubate global water solutions. We're honored to work with and amplify organizations and champions working on solutions to pervasive issues of water insecurity, like Water for South Sudan. Our work with the W12 protocol and events like the W12 drive-in aim to inspire and share solutions to the most pressing and unforgivable issues of our time, but not just Band-Aid solutions. We're interested in leveraging solutions that address systemic failures, solutions that can be replicated and adapted in other places, solutions that are sustainable, both ecologically and organizationally, and solutions that will truly move the needle towards the well-being of people and planet. I'm so pleased to have Salvo with us today on the Ecosip podcast. As you've heard in the introduction to this episode, his story is incredible and awe-inspiring, and even those words seem to fall flat. I encourage everyone to visit the Water for South Sudan website and read the book, A Long Walk to Water, about Salvo's journey. He'll provide details about where to find out more at the end of this episode. So, Salva, let's get into it. Can you tell us a bit about the organization you founded, Water for South Sudan? What does it do? Where do you operate? Where are you right now? Just just kind of set the scene for us about who you are and what you do. Uh, I'm right now sitting in a town called Wow, South Sudan. Uh, that's where we have a, the operation center. And uh, what we do is just to provide clean drinking water to the people that we don't have access to clean, uh, clean drinking water. And also we do hygiene to make sure they don't contaminate the well that they have. And we do sanitation as well. Here in South Sudan, we have so many tribes. 
and those tribes they are in conflict and we find out that the water is kind of like bringing peace to them actually uh, when you have a clean water in your village you don't have to move and travel somewhere else to go and cause trouble to other tribe and then fight break out and what we do we work in a very 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 remote areas rural areas that's where we provide the uh, the wells for them and teach them and making sure they maintain the well all across South Sudan in the, all the tribal uh, line. That's where we work and that's what we do. We, uh, we drill wells and teach hygiene and uh, sanitation. Thank you. And how long have you been in operation? Uh, since 2003, uh, 2003, that's where we did registration and then 2000, the end of 2004, that's where we start the operation i would say about 17 years 16 something like that wow okay that's 17 years yeah okay that's fantastic um can you talk to us a bit about the the moment or the process of realizing that you want to work in water and and how and how did you decide that water is this the sort of key issue that that you want to work on uh thank you ali for that question that's really great Sometimes we human beings will forget about our essential thing that we have in life. If we don't have them, we cannot be exist in this world. And let's say when I was young, where I grew up, I didn't have running water in my house. I didn't have electricity. I didn't have all the beautiful things. And, uh, and when the war broke out and walking for that long to go to refugee camp, and being almost to die because of thirst, mm. I find out that yes, water is very important in our life. Stay in refugee camp, and when I went to US, I get spoiled completely because I have run water in my house and all this. Never think about it completely. I never think that I will do the water work until I heard about my father that I didn't know for where he was about for almost 16, 17 years. And when I find out about him, he was sick from waterborne diseases. And I said, I'm going to see my dad before he passed. I went back to my country, to South Sudan, and found him. And he was sick because of waterborne diseases. And I said, I should do something. That's the moment that my head twist. But I never thought about doing a career of uh, water completely. My head got twisted, I said. I got to do something. It was not just my dad alone who was in that situation. It was everyone in the entire country. And I went back and I said, that's the field that I'm going to no matter what. And I abandoned the field that I was looking to do. And I, I told my friend and I said, I got to do it. This is the moment that I was changed to be able to, to move to that water, uh, to do water project. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Wow, that's... I mean, it's amazing on, on several levels, and I think it speaks to to the. I was actually just talking with an aunt of mine on on a walk the other day, and you know, she was talking about how she never, growing up as an American here with clean water readily available, you know, at, at your fingertips, literally, that she never thought about the fact that that water is a human right and is something that people don't really have access to on such a a basic level, and I think. Right. You you bridge both of those kind of worlds very well, so it's it's quite interesting to to hear how the 
kind of polarized nature of those two worlds is what led you to actually work on this issue. Absolutely. People can learn a lot more about that kind of story and that process in, in your book, which again, I highly encourage everyone to read. You mentioned this a little bit, but I would like to dive into it a bit further. So in, in other conversations we've had, and even today, we've talked about how water is well-being. And that's for EcoCiv, our, our mission is you know, the well-being of people and the planet. So our, our core is kind of water is well-being. And that's why we work in water. And I'm curious from your perspective, if you could talk about how you see water make a difference in people's lives or the environment. You mentioned really briefly in the, I think in your intro, and I I just want to make sure people pick up on it because it, it's really interesting that, you know, water can be a, a conflict mitigator. And when people have water, they may not have to travel elsewhere and get into conflict with other people who are trying to access the same resource. Um, so I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about how you see water making sure. a difference. We all know that water is our life. Our body is 80% water. And we don't pay enough attention to it. But uh, I will say in some years to come, we might even have a war because of water. Mm-hmm. That would be called war of water. Like right now, we have uh, Ethiopia and uh, Egypt that are standing off now about the uh, Nile water. Who will do this with it and who will do this with it. And we are close to the fight, to the war of the water. That means what kind of music that is telling us now? And it's just the thing that is, a, uh, is our right to make sure that we have water. If we don't have water, then it's not life. That's uh, one part to look at it. Another part to look at it, too. Here in South Sudan, people migrate to go somewhere to get the water and abandon the entire village completely until the rainy season comes and then go come back. And even that water, when they go to, the water is not clean. They get a lot of uh, waterborne diseases and it, a lot of worms, and uh, and people get sick. And there's a big problem here with the children that do have a uh, reach to five years old. Mm. They die because there's no clean water. All these things happen. And when we see those kind of issues, well, before that, and you, all of us, we know that. We have a small percentage, 2% to 3%, that's the fresh water that we have. We still don't have a way to desalinate the salty water. Mm-hmm. That means we really, really have a problem here. We human beings, too, get it also and contaminate the 2% that we have without thinking about it. We should wake up. What could we do? Some of the country feel comfortable when they are blessed they have. Let's say in America, we have uh, five Great Lakes. Hmm. People might think that, oh, we get enough. Even in America, too, there's a problem. We go to Colorado, the other uh, West Coast, they have some challenges, too. Absolutely. And it's a time it's a time for us now to think and say, what could we do really to take good care of our water? How we could take good care of it, treat it well, how we process it, how we make sure that everyone have a right to the water, how we make sure that we don't contaminate the water we have, how we make sure that what kind of system we can put it up to make sure that we take good care of our water instead of other people jumping in and do whatever they want to do with it. Mm-hmm. The world need to think about that. What is the best system that we need to set it up to make sure it's good 
and fair for everyone to have access to it and would not be contaminated. I'm asking the world, what could we do? Mm-hmm. And it's not just individual question. It's for all of us. If you are living in this earth, you are part of that problem. Mm-hmm. These two things in this world, the air we breathe in it and the water we drink. Without these two things, no existing life. And we should wake up and do the best we could to take care of our water. Thank you. Absolutely. That's inspiring. I think it also really leads well into the next question that I particularly am excited to ask you about and learn more about. Uh, And that's how Water for South Sudan builds in that element of, of taking care of water and of a sustainable system into providing these wells and communities. You mentioned this interesting model of microfinance and wells that you guys are, I'm not sure if you're launching it or if you already have launched it, but if you could talk a little bit about that and perhaps, I think most of our audience is familiar with microfinance, but if, if not, maybe give a brief overview of that. And yeah, I think that would be really interesting. Sure. Uh, the water that we, Water for South Sudan has been providing, we are providing it free to the villagers. Uh, People help us donate the money, and then we come and build a well for these villages to take care of it. We train them how to do hygiene, so which uh, I would take good care to repair it and do hygiene on that uh, in that village and making sure they take care of their well. And we find out that there are some challenges that uh, we need to make sure that they need to be more responsible. Because what we are giving is just the basic one to start from, and then they will do the rest by themselves, and not one for South Sudan will do everything. And uh, and what we we are working on it now is called water microfinance. Water microfinance is to set up something, set up the money there and that uh, around that uh, well to make sure whatever thing they do there, they have to make sure they maintain their well. Because we already find out that when we put the well there, the community start developing. The community thrive immediately. Hmm. They will build a school that was never built there in that village before. They will have a little unit clinic. They will have a market there. And they don't have to move away from there. Mm -hmm. Now they need to develop themselves which means they need to do something better to make sure they generate something around that well to be able to support that because this is their lifeline. If that well broke down and the entire village move away again while they invest with other things, that would be terrible. That would be really bad to go and start over again. And that's why we came up with that idea of microfinance to make sure absolutely their well is more sustainable. Mm-hmm. because we like to do something that's sustainable than just uh, doing thing and then you just forget and you don't think that it's uh, something simple. Right, right. And this is the thing that we are doing. About, uh, we are teaching these people because here in Africa we have a problem too. Let's say our community here in South Sudan, we've been in the war for many years, for two decades. And a lot of people get used to all these relief things. It doesn't mean that I'm saying that the relief are bad. Yeah. The relief help you in that situation that you need to be helped. But now the peace has come to our country 
and we need to start doing something that more sustainable, not something that temporary, that it was it will go away at any time. And that's why we came up with that idea of microfinance to make sure that the village have that microfinance to support the, themselves, and also would support the village, uh, the village too, the entrepreneur people. They will come and borrow from that, take that loan, and when they take it, they will uh, come with the interest to maintain the well. And now that person who have this, they have something to to thrive and to have their own little business to do. But it doesn't mean that water force has to be trying to make business. No, it's not our business. Mm -hmm. And we will give them that money to start from, to sustain their well. And then we'll say, give us that money back to take it to another village that to go and sustain uh, and uh, do the same model thing to help themselves. And we have nothing to gain in yeah. it uh, than what we're giving to them. Uh, but it would work very well for this community. And they will understand that, yes, this is how the system works. Because we have a lack of skill here in South Sudan, as I mentioned before, because of war. And we need to really give them something really important to understand that water is the foundation of everything to start on. And that's why we have that. Uh, we are doing this microfinance. It's not there yet, but we are working on it. Yep. Thank you. Yep. That's that's awesome. Um, I mean, on, on several levels, that those are the types of solutions that the W twelve is is really excited to hear about and learn from, and hopefully share with other organizations or other places around the world that that hopefully this could be helpful for. But we'll get more onto that later. I wanted to talk about another challenging part of providing water that you alluded to. And that's the challenge of pricing water. Water is, of course, a human right. And that's, I think, generally agreed upon in, in most circles, at least circles that we probably are in. Um, but it does, as you mentioned, cost money to maintain, to monitor, to, say, dig a well, to make sure that well stays clean, to make sure there's soap with the, in the sanitation systems. There's, there's all sorts of associated costs. So the microfinance model to me is a really interesting kind of answer to that, that it, it's quite creative. But I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about balancing that human right to water and the kind of reality that there are costs associated with that. Oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, let's say, for example, all this well that we are providing free to the village. In reality, if you look at it, at it they are not free. Because someone worked hard somewhere and be fortunate enough to have extra money to go and help these people. They give us money. They donate money to Water for South Sudan. And now we have hired a crew and we have equipment that we bought and go and dig that well which costs a lot of money to put that well down, which means it's not really free. It's free for them, but it's not free when they get it. Some people work hard. But what would you do if you ask yourself and say, okay, now it's you to sustain yourself, with, to take care of it. I'm not going to take care of it anymore. And we all know that nothing lasts forever. And you need to make sure they come up with a way, with the model that they have to make sure that they will either they collect money by themselves or set up something like a water microfinance, like what we are doing, to be able to sustain it. And this is the easiest way for people to understand this is very important for the, in their life, and this is the easiest way 
to everyone to have access in the village. Like, let's say, the people that were becoming in the village, whatever the village won, they set up the system of uh, microfinance that we have. Whether the entire village do something else and sustain it, or they will say, okay, each household, you have to do something like now. Already now, that's what they've been doing before when the war was going on and we didn't have currency. Mm. All these households, they donate chicken, they donate goods to make sure that they bought the spare part to fix it and making sure they hire someone that to maintain it. And nothing would happen in this world by itself without at least doing something to sustain it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's all what we've been thinking along that side. But of course, it's, it's human right thing. Where people should have it free. But if we let it go free forever, who will really take good care of it? And someone else jump in and try to contaminate it. And someone else doesn't even take care of those uh, things. Like, let's say in uh, in urban cities areas, of course, there's a system that they've been setting up already. And uh, and that's why I asked the first question, we we people in this world need to think about, what could we do to sustain our water, our system that we get the water out from? Mm -hmm. What could we do for this water? Thank you. It's so just foundational and imperative that we design these sustainable systems and we don't perpetuate the kind of the negative side as you mentioned of of kind of relief uh of relief work which is also as you said very necessary in a lot of instances but at some point you have to move beyond that sort of cycle of dependency it reminds me of my first time in in southern africa i was doing a um whatever research practicum in kenya and we were working with Maasai community in the Mbirikani group branch and on the Tanzanian border. And they, there was an American health clinic, uh, sort of a non-governmental, pretty much or, or entirely funded by an American philanthropist. And it set up this massive clinic that was providing kind of state-of-the-art care and and care that, that hadn't been available to to the people in this region beforehand. But then the 2008 financial crisis happened and overnight she lost all of her money and the clinic had to shut down. So all of these people, hundreds of thousands of people that were relying on this health clinic were all of a sudden had nothing because a lot of the kind of publicly run systems had shut down because this private one was providing all of these services. So it, it really instilled in me, you know, that just the absolute core of having these sustainable systems built in and and getting out of this cycle of dependency and having local ownership and local decision making and local Absolutely. everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't want to cut you off. Sorry about no. that. Like, let's say, we uh, water for South we provide those uh, wells. And the first well that we put it down in 2005 is still operating up to today Ooh. because we do monitoring violation to go and check it. It's operating because of one thing. If we did come and drill it and say, oh, guys, oh, yeah, yeah, we are happy you take your well without teaching them what to do with it, this well would not be operating today. Yeah. We came in, we built a well. We asked them, we said, if we build a well, you have to step up and make sure you you maintain it. You villagers, mm-hmm. because it belongs to you. 
and it's not belong to water for South Sudan or the donor. And what we said, we train their people to make sure that they will fix it. And we set up the committee, the water committee, to make sure that if something breaks, they will sit together and make a decision and collect whatever they could to buy a spare part and hire the mechanic. Mm. It's because of that. That's why they are functioning today. But this community is not going to be like that. If we don't give them enough knowledge, because now we came in with a new thing, new technology that they didn't have before, we need to make sure that we train them deeply to understand and see their way to the future, what would be the best way to do it, to, uh, to sustain it. And that's why we're coming in with this microfinance to make sure if they do well, they could even be able to build a water yard, water distribution by themselves. And instead of water for thousands are coming in again and do it, they could be able to do other things uh, for themselves. And now is a step. Exactly. And we should not just step, uh, stop in step one. We should go to step two, step three. Along the way, they will pick it up by themselves and go to a further step. And we got to do something with that to make sure our people understand it. It's mm-hmm. not just someone always provide you free. And like, let's say, if water for thousands doesn't do the more drilling now or we didn't teach them that how to sustain it those well wouldn't be existing today exactly and we did that because we find some of the well were being drilled and no one was being trained and then they were not sustaining them and that's why we came in with that way of simple sustainability but now we are going to the second level to make sure they understand it and be able to sustain those well yeah. Thank you. Sorry. No, that's great. We, I mean, you see examples of sort of tech failures in in many sectors, not just water. Whether it's, you know, I think of solar panels and and things like that, where there's there isn't local kind of ownership or maintenance of something, or there just isn't a, a part um, like a, a screw or something that you can't have or the, isn't available locally. Um, but I think right. that it's great that you guys are are approaching this um, in such a sustainable way. Um, related, and I think, I think the answer to this might be somewhat obvious, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, do you think the work you're doing with Water for South Sudan is scalable or replicable across the region and further, perhaps? And why or why not? We started small, and whatever our policy has, Water for South Sudan is to do something sustainable. We are a developmental organization here. And when we are doing something, we start small and slowly and study it first to make sure that uh, this thing would be really good and before we scale it to other regions as well. Yeah. And uh, we because sometimes when you just get excited about things and then go and do a bunch of them somewhere and then you fail, then you, you become miserable <laughs> and you waste a lot of resources. And, uh, and that's why we like to start first. Like the, our plan for this year, for, for a company year, is to start with two, mm-hmm. with two uh, uh, water microfinance. One on the simple hand pump and one on the water distribution. That's what we they are planning to do. And now when we sit and then give it like uh, some month or and then uh, review it again and keep reviewing, we will be putting monitor evaluation going on. When we see that is successfully, that's the time that we will scale it up to other regions mm-hmm. uh, here in South Sudan before we step out in the country. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and we need to make sure that this it could work really well for them. And we are not just scaling it uh, to other countries yet until yeah. we know exactly what what we're doing. 
Yeah, I think it. What's What's really exciting, and or I guess positive is a better word than exciting, but that you guys are doing such strong monitoring and evaluation campaigns because then it will be not easy, but easier to to figure out key lessons learned when you do get to that possible replication scale and stage. Yeah. So I have two kind of final questions. Um, They're related. And so I'll ask both of them at once and then you can sort of decide how you want to answer them. Well, the first is what are you most proud of in your work for water for South Sudan? And then related, if you have any key lessons learned messages or insights that you'd like to share with our listeners. Uh, What excites me the most are the results, the impact of our work. Let's say the country of South Sudan is very, very, very young country in the world, completely has no development. We have no infrastructure here completely. We have no roads, we have no grid system, we have zero. And when we, I go deep, I used to spend six months on the back of the truck. That's where I sleep. Work all day long, didn't have weekend, and then at night sleep back on the truck. In extreme heat, and when I left, go to U.S. and come back and see what happened in that village, it touched my heart so much. Mm. To see they build a school by themselves, and now both girls and boys are going to school, and those women, girls, still walk miles and miles, are not doing that anymore. And you see the market is coming in. It touched my heart so much. One time I was in a village called Moch, and we were drilling there. And the elderly man came and sat on the tree, could not believe that we would get the water out in that dry land. And when we hit the water, he said, gee, I've been sitting on the water all this time, and I'm about to die because of thirst. <sighs> Imagine that. <sighs> Simply, he didn't have a knowledge or he didn't have equipment to be able to penetrate through the earth and get that clean water out. If you look into this, it brings me excited. Which means we need to give, to empower these people to be able to make sure they can go underneath and get that clean water out and making sure they have a system that is sustainable. For them not to sit in the water all the time and think that, and they are about to die of the thirst while they're sitting on the water. They need knowledge to make sure they can take care of themselves. Because it's better in this world to teach someone to fish instead of feeding someone with fish all the time. Mm. We always said, when you take the horse to the water, the horse will know what to do. This is a time for Africa to make sure we teach them to be able to fish for themselves. What's that you think? The world is not going backward. Let's say, if you go to America now, they're... They are so advanced with all this technology going on, like what we are doing now. But here is extremely difficult. They don't have even to understand the computer, which becomes difficult with our COVID-19 work here in South Sudan. They don't have telephone. They don't have TVs. They don't understand it. And we have to take a microphone in and walk and talk about it. They cannot read the newspapers. Mm. They don't have any social media stuff, all this kind of thing. We need to bring these people up to be able to take care of themselves. Yes. Thank you. Uh, yes, on that part. And uh, the other part, the other question you said? Yeah. Any key you know, lessons learned, messages, or, or insights you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, yes. Those are the things that I learned through that. And uh, another thing, too, I learned 
we were being helped here. We used to, to be called Lost Boys. People are still calling us Lost Boy now. And American, they open their arms for us to go to to U.S. and they give us this knowledge. And I'm proud to come back to help my people and do to bring that knowledge that I gained in U.S. to my people here. And I'm very proud of it. We have some of the lost boys who say that I will never go back to mm. to Africa again. But it's our job. Have people from Africa when we go and get that knowledge come back. We have a lot of people now go there and get higher education and never come back. We are draining the skill of Africa with people who they should go and come back and help these people because this continent will not help themselves alone without uh, we getting involved. People of uh, of this uh, region, and uh, those are all the lessons that I learn along, plus this water that I never dreamed that I would work on the water. Mm. Never thought that is important. Those are the lessons that I learned in my life, and I keep learning all the time. And I'm proud for the work that I'm doing. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Salva. I mean, this has been this has been really great, and I'm I'm just excited to continue working with you, and so hopefully there's there's lots more to come. Um. Where can our listeners find out more about you, about Water for South Sudan? What do you suggest? Uh, the website, as you open it with the website before, that's a good place to go. www.waterforsouthsudan.org. That's where they can get all the things they need to learn about Water for South Sudan. Okay. Perfect. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Salva. I know you're incredibly busy and to Uh, I really, really appreciate your time. So thanks again and stay well. We look forward to hearing more about all of your successes and impact. My pleasure, Ali. And thank you. Take care.